Welcome back, everyone. I've got a really special guest for all of you today, um, Al Stasek. And one of the things I like best about Al is he's from Julianite's home state of Ohio. <laughs> he sells and sold real estate up in um, Cleveland, Ohio. A lot of you are going to be familiar with him because he's probably one of the most successful agents in the country, and he has been for a long period of time. So, Al, without any further delay, welcome to today's podcast. Oh, man. Thanks for having me, Tim. I'm sorry for not getting you on sooner, by the way. I should have invited you a long time ago because I know our guests are going to learn a ton from you. So you, um, can you give them a little bit of background on you, where you sell real estate, all that good stuff so they can uh, know the – I mean, it's good for us to let folks know the nature of your experience. So, you know, sometimes the skeptical ones out there will try to discount, oh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, when you hit them with your numbers, then they'll realize you're the real deal. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, well, <clears throat> excuse me, I started out. Um, I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma, and uh, a very blue-collar, working man's um, type of community, uh, very diverse. And um, my my dad was a Century 21 old-school gold-coat gold warrior uh, with C21. So I grew up – my dad was – you know, he was a full-time dock worker, and he'd sold real estate part-time just so that we had money to go on vacation. So from a young – age I was following him into his old school Century 21 offices where you know back in the 80s it, it's and I don't know what your listener base ages on average but um, I know you've been doing it long enough but back in the 80s this um, our industry was not what it is today it, it looks nothing like it there there's a lot of things that haven't changed you know as far as um, you know how we work with buyers and sellers and that kind of thing but what has changed obviously Aside from the obvious, which is the internet, um, you know, buyer's agency wasn't a big thing back then. Now, of course, it, you know, we're big advocates of that. Um, and 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 really, the support, the training, the coaching, things that like what you and Julie do, that didn't exist at least a lot back then in those days. So people were kind of on it. They were they were they had to figure a lot of things out on their own. And um, and so when I got into the business, um, I you know I just. I hit the ground and really just tried figuring it out on my own. I, I hired a few. Uh, I bought a couple of coaching in a boxes thing back in it was like '98 when I got licensed, and um, I, mean, I just made a lot of mistakes along the way until I finally, um, you know, hired my coach. Um, you know, a, a real coaching company like you guys, uh, but it was you know Jay Kinder and Mike Reese, and so that was in 2010. So I'd say I had a lot of learning uh, prior to me really getting clear on you know how to grow my real estate business the right way, what to do, what not to do, what to do first, and uh, what order. Um, and, and it just uh, – it took me a while, but um, it's been a fun ride um, well, you just said where we are today. You just said something uh, that I find interesting, I, and I think you'll be comfortable with me asking you this question. And listeners, if you've listened to us doing – Julie and I doing podcast interviews before, we do have a host of questions that we go through, but I don't think I've ever – there's like 100 questions I've written out, you know, but I don't think I've ever yeah. used the questions once because the podcast interviews always have the life of their own because we're fortunate enough to have people like Al in our lives. But so you just mentioned mistakes, and I'm, I'm very curious. What would be the maybe the three biggest mistakes – that when looking back, you realize that were easily avoidable, and maybe some of our listeners can say, "Hell, I'm making that mistake now," or "I'm gonna learn from Alan not make that mistake." What would be the three biggest ones that come to mind? Well, I think one of them was um, I, I I had a full time job when I started, and my goal was to put two under escrow 
you know, simultaneously. In other words, have two impending um, at the same time, and then I would quit my job. And I did that. And then I was like, oh, crap, you know, now what? And, I mean, you know, I'm swimming in the, without a life vest at this point, and I just had to make it happen. So I, I started just spending money on stuff um, and just trying to get leads. And I was buying um, – I bought this program where you can run an ad and it, and it drives a bunch of leads, but they weren't really high quality leads because of what I was using to get them. Therefore, when I got them, which you, you would think that if you, you implemented a system and you got leads, uh, or at least you got names and numbers, let's put it that way. I don't know that they were really leads, that you would be able to convert those into working clients and then a closing. But that never happened. So I ended up with a, with a lot of uh, names and phone numbers from the ads that I was running, but it never, those never equated into sales. So it ended up costing me thousands of dollars of, uh, because I didn't have a strategy and I didn't, um, I didn't do the right things in the right order. And, and if I was going to go back and redo that, I would have gotten some coaching on how to convert those leads before I want to spend all the money on buying them, you know, like, but I didn't know what I didn't know then. I just, I was ambitious and I wanted to succeed and I've always kind of just had this idea of, um, you know, the uh, the underdog. You know, um, I don't think too many people were pegging me to win. And so I was just, you know, I was ornery and I was going to prove them wrong. So I was I was uh, just getting out there and trying to find the information the best I could. And, you know, I just wasn't doing the right things in the right order. That would be, I guess, one one mistake. Um, That's a pretty big I one, though. I mean, that – yeah, if you can't think yeah. of it, that's that, that's but that's such an important thing that you just said. It's so freaking unbelievably important because, especially in this day and age where you know everyone's got leads for sale, everyone's selling leads, and there's you know agents think their biggest problem is is lack of leads, and that's not that's not really their lack. That's not really the biggest problem. Their biggest problem is knowing what to do with the lead when you get it. And by knowing what to do, it's about a conversation that you have and then quickly being able to discern by following a script, a.k.a. conversation outline, to know whether or not that person is motivated, what their level of motivation is, and all those types of things. It's the skill set that you uh, didn't know you were skipping, which is – I appreciate your humility in your answer. Um, but it's that skill set that agents are still skipping, and nobody's actually saying, hey, guess what? You can spend billions of dollars on Zillow, you know, and you're going to get leads, but you're not going to convert them because you don't know how to do it. And their egos don't want them to hear that. Would you concur with what I just said? Or you, it doesn't. Well, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I I do, I do, and and I mean the the the, the problem. And there's there's look there's there's you guys. There's a lot of coaching companies out there. Some are good. Some are not so great. But I I you know there's there's a there's there's some constraints. Um, a lot of times with a lot of the coaching that, that goes on one, number one, sometimes it's too expensive and people just can't afford it. The other thing, like you said, is their ego gets in the way and like, I don't need that. Um, the truth of the matter is anything that I've done well, I've gotten trained from the best and then repeatedly did it and failed and did it again and failed. And, and, and you start failing less and then you get a win. And I think, um, by human nature, nobody wants to fail and nobody's taught that to embrace the failure, you know, and that it's going to come, you know, you're going to get hung up on when you start making some calls, you're gonna maybe, you know, start showing houses to somebody. And then next thing you know, they call you up and say, yeah, I'm sorry. I ended up finding one on my own. Like if you do this enough, you're going to run into some failures 
And I think that the best advice you can give a new agent out there is, is to be ready for it. And then embrace it. Like, it's going to suck at first. Nobody's going to tell you to like it. But embrace the fact that, it, you, know, you know what, I, I was aware, I was told by somebody, you know, that smart Tim Harris guy said, you know, it's coming. You know, you're going to run into a bump in the road. It's going to happen. So think of it like, well, oh, okay, I got that out of the way, you know. Um, we joke, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you ever have a family member find out they bought a house through, through another agent, and they're like, they're all happy, and they come, you see them at like in a, a family event or something, and they come running up and like, hey, I bought a house, and you're like, what do you mean you bought a house? You know, you're, you're pissed. You don't want to, you don't want them to know you're pissed, but inside you're boiling, and you're like, why didn't you call me? You know, it's, it's, um, it's going to happen. Um, sure, there's things you can do to prevent it, but um, you, you really just have to look at it as as learning um, mechanisms, which I guess is the second thing that I would say that, um, and I don't know if this is a mistake or just a big lesson, maybe both, is that you really, really have to be careful on who you surround yourself with. I believe, and I'm sure you do as well, um, you know, that environment is more powerful than will. And I can tell you, and this isn't a slam on on any particular company or whatever, I just know for a fact that the first environment that I inserted myself into was not a healthy growing environment that, you know, um, was keeping up with technology or anything like that. They were very happy being stuck in 1985 and a lot of their people were happy being stuck in 1985 and not advancing and not using the, the tools that are, were started to become available to real estate professionals to, to help grow their career. And there's a whole nother world out there. You just have to peek over the fence, you know. And um, I would say that, I mean, even beyond the first thing that I mentioned, which is, you know, wasting money on, you know, things without having a plan, I think that the environment that people cho choose is, is probably the most important piece to whether they're going to be successful or not, you know. And, um, I, you know, did I make a mistake coming out? Yes. And and it, I'm not regretful because I did learn, you know, things. I learned what, you know, some things what to do. I learned a lot what not to do. Um, and so it's not regret so much. It's just a lesson that um, I would have shopped around and talked to a couple people before just going off the hip where my, my dad happened to be hanging his license, you know. And so for me, um, those are the things that I look back and said, yeah, I would have done some different things. But. The good news is when someone comes to me that's new, I can now have the confidence of telling them my story and saying, you know, don't make that same mistake, you know. And by the way, I made it a couple times, you know, um, midway through my career and made the same damn mistake. Talked to one one broker. That wasn't a mistake in, in a sense of I was in a bad place. I joined Remax, but I didn't even look at other models, like didn't even look at them. And, and, and you know, it's like someone that um, – buys the first car that they, they walk on a lot and the first one they see, you know, they just buy. I'm not saying sometimes you, you're, you're going to win and you're, you're going to get in a good spot. And I was with, with, you know, the Remax broker I had was amazing. Great people, loved them. Um, but I didn't even go around and look around to see, I wonder if there's any other environments. I wonder if there's any other business models. And there were. It was, one was Keller Williams. They were just coming into our market. And um, it was back in the days of Keller Who. And <laughs> You know, in looking back, I should have sat down with, with those guys, but I didn't, you know, and 
you know, whether I would have went with Keller or, or, or Remax, that, that's not the point that I'm making. Uh, both great companies. I just said I, I didn't look around, and and you really, it's your environment is everything. No matter how strong-willed you are, your environment's going to beat you every time. So, so, so you said two things there, and I'm, I, I think you're intending to say two separate things, but they're brilliant, both of them. Absolutely, environment, and I also heard a little bit of complacency too. I mean, when you're saying that you didn't even give an opportunity to sort of look at see where your options were, that's kind of complacency. Saying oh, I'm good enough, ah, it's fine. Oh, I'm happy with where I am. That's a little bit of right. a complacent type thing. That if you if you identify that, it, you know, complacency is a bit of a made up word because in all reality, none of us can truly be complacent because everything and everyone around us, and even our bodies, right, our thoughts, our everything. It's constantly changing. There is no such – even when you're dead, you're constantly changing. Morbid thought, I know. But the reality of it is is that there's no such thing as being able to be complacent where you're not changing. You could stop trying to change or say, this is good enough, or my lifestyle is good enough, or my education level is good enough, or my whatever, whatever is good enough. But the truth is is that you're going to lose what you have because everything else around you is going to change, whether you want to change with it or not. So accepting right. and embracing constant change, that's one of the key elements of anybody who's successful, you know, for sure. And not struggling against yeah. it, right? Acknowledging the fact that I can't win against complacency, so I'm not even going to interject that into my life. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, oh, and the environment thing, dude, that's so important too. You know, look, you and I are both from Ohio, and um, – You've, you know, I remember the first time Julie and I traveled out of Columbus, Ohio, and uh, we went on little trips. But you know, when we started traveling, when we became hard stars, and we were three max as well, and just these different markets. And you, you know, you take someone from Columbus, Ohio, and you drop them into like Southern California, or you know, up in the East Coast, and like Greenwich, Connecticut, where all these people they don't just live differently, but they think differently. And when you get exposure to the way how big you said it you said it nicely i think i loved how you thought about it you know you look on the other side of the fence you're taking a peek but when you start getting exposure to how different people think you all of a sudden start confronting the fact that you are complacent the fact that you have built this little golden cage that you call your life this little community you know there's a statistic out i don't know if you've ever heard this before i've never forgotten this because it's kind of shocking that something like 99% of the of all americans are born and you know die within something like a 10-mile or a 15-mile radius of the exact same spot, you know, that's kind of wow. – I, I think that's interesting. There's nothing – I'm not judging it. I'm just saying, do right. people realize they're doing that? <laughs> you know, is that no, something they're, they're actually considering? Yeah, and here's another no, interesting statistic. they're not statistic. aware. They're yeah. not, they don't stop to think. And another interesting statistic that I think you'll appreciate, it's in alignment with what we're talking about, is this – again, it's in the 90s. It's a ridiculously high number. Of all people, when they reach whatever retirement age is, it's 67 – are either dependent on the government or a family member or both just to make ends meet. So they've had their entire lives to accumulate wealth, but they never do it. Um, those two things, I remember when Julie and I learned those originally when we were in our 20s, that really was like, okay, what makes us think we're spe so special that we're not going to follow those two patterns considering virtually everyone else does? And, and that's right. where it comes into that, you know, the people you surround yourself with, you know. That's so yeah. true. It really is. So how do you, you obviously are a big thinker. How do you keep yourself thinking big? You just made me think of something. Um, <laughs> I, don't really have, I, don't, I don't have a problem ever thinking big. Um, you know, I think, but what, what popped into my mind was you just said that uh, was um, some, I, this is not my quote, but I love it when I read it and cause it related to me a little bit. Right. And that is, 
um, your in-laws are not your retirement plan or your in-laws should not be your retirement plan, right? And I just think that that's so true for so many agents, not that every every real estate agent out there has, uh, you know, an in-law that has money or whatever. But what I see agents doing, and this is including me for many, many years, is I was on this treadmill of let's sell more houses, let's sell more houses, let's sell more houses. And the, the, the sad part about that is you could be actually very successful and get to 65, 70, 75, 80 years old and still not have a sellable asset. That was me and running on that for a long time. And again, it goes back to the thinking. You asked my question, I will answer it as, as far as how do I keep thinking big? Here's the truth of it, Tim. I never had an ambition to grow a really big team. I, it just started happening organically. And then I, I had to start thinking differently if I were to either continue doing that or move backwards and just be, you know, a really, really good single agent. You know, I had to make a decision. Um, I never thought I was going to open up my own office until I looked around me at our Remax office. It wasn't conducive to our team any longer. We were actually taking up three separate offices. And um, and so it's funny you say that. It's like, you know, um, I, I I don't have a problem thinking big, um, but I, I, I think I don't compare myself to, you know, another person almost never. I mean, I, I mean, you know, you, you look at other people that are successful in, in that, but I never compare them to myself because I've always had my own path. And what's cool about it is that I don't always know where that path is exactly going. You know, like I didn't, like I said, I didn't know I was going to open up office. It, it started making logistical sense that I moved out of that space. I stayed with Remax, you know, temporarily actually, and then um, opened my own office up. And that was scarier than hell. I mean, I remember, you know, like, man, I was just starting to do really good. And then I just spent 50, 60 grand opening an office. And um, I had full support of my broker and everything like that. But I did it out of necessity, not because I had this big, grandiose goal of opening up an office. A year later, I ended up going independent. And that's not because I thought I'd want to be a broker and, and open my own brokerage. That was never one of my big, heritageous goals. But my path, I stayed focused on on the journey, and, and, and that path led me to these things. And it led to me where I am today. And I'm I'm loving the journey. You know, I look back, and I don't want you or your listeners to misconstrue that I have regrets. None of those were regrets. It was my path. My path was my path. And if it wasn't for the, the things that happened or the decisions I made or didn't make, I wouldn't be talking to you today. That's a fact. You know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, it, it's but they're lessons, and what it's enabled me to do is is, is have different conversations with other people. And help them along, you know, figuring out what their path is going to journey is going to look like. I'm, I think I'm babbling right now, so I might as well. Uh, no, no, I'm listening. And you know, the thing is, is you're you're, speak, you're speaking from your heart, and that's the reason I'm not interjecting another question because I know you're reaching a lot of people. But before I get to the next three questions that I wrote down for you, I wanted to uh, thank the sponsor of today's podcast, which is EXP Realty, and they've made available a great video and are making available a, a coaching call with an agent attraction coach. So if you're interested in EXP Realty, which probably all of you are because everyone's talking about EXP Realty, it's pretty much the biggest deal in real estate right now, 
and certainly will be going forward. So go ahead and text the word EXP, just the simple letters EXP, no spaces, just EXP. Text the word EXP to 31996. And when you do, you're going to get an immediate, uh, immediate text back, a response, which is going to give you a link to um, a seven-minute video that you can watch that will answer all your cursory questions, or maybe you already have a lot of your questions answered and you're actually ready to move forward with EXP. You're also going to be entitled to a free coaching call with what, uh, with one of the EXP coaches, and they're going to answer all your additional questions that you might have. And so all you have to do is text the word EXP to 31996, and you'll get that video, and you'll have a free coaching call with an agent attraction coach. So the next question I wrote down for you, what are the three – this is kind of a fun question because I read Inman all the time. We used to publish all the time oh, yeah. on Inman. And uh, so, and I'm seeing. I, I actually have to be. I'm going to ask the question and not try to bias your answer, though I doubt if I could. Uh, what are the three biggest overhyped things that agents are wasting their time, maybe thinking or worrying about that they shouldn't be? Overhyped things. Overhyped, um, over dramatized, over. Oh my gosh, the zombie apocalypse is here. I mean, it's you know, yeah. that that type of thing. Yes. I think that the word um, disruption is probably thrown around a little bit too much, and mm. and then you know I think that the next new technology or gadget that is being you know tried people are trying to get you know leaders are trying to sell people on that this is going to fix all their problems. Um, you know, technology has um, has really transformed our our. Uh, our industry big time, especially on a lead generation um, type of thing. But going back to actually our first statement, I didn't even try to tie this in. You could have all the technology you want and you can have all of the lead generation you want. And, 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 and none of it is going to do anything unless you build the skills that you're going to need to be able to talk to a client, build their trust with that client and eventually convert them into a, um, you know, a, a closing, you know, that, that without those skills, all the technology in the world. And I think that kind of this, you know, leads to a different conversation about, you know, our standards in this business. And I think you would agree, uh, you know, Jay and Mike and I, we, we, and I say that you're, I'm not assuming your listeners know who that is, but I know you interviewed Jay Kinder. I listened to it. It was an awesome interview. That's what made me say yes to this because I heard your interview with him and it was off the charts. So your listeners should go back and listen to that too because that's a great interview. Um, you were fun. funny in that one. I love that. Yeah. Well, well we I really like about... Jay. Honestly, I I really like Jay, and I'll t the reason I like Jay is because he is honest. And well, you just said you just said something too that was very honest. And and I'm, I'm going to go back to my own question, and I'm going to so we can stay on course with this because I think we can go deep down on this particular question. A lot of the shit that's being sold to agents right now has not been ever proven to work, and it won't work. It's just essentially somebody gave somebody a bunch of money to start some whiz-bang idea, and agents are being told it's going to solve all their problems. And if you really drill down on what problems the agents perceive that they have, it's yes, lead generation, but really what they're afraid to do is what Al keeps on saying, have meaningful conversations with people. And, and if you really – here's an interesting – I was just talking with Steve Murray, the Real Trends guy, you know, the, the guy that founded it. Yeah. And he gave me a yeah. lot of really fascinating statistics. But the one I really thought was fascinating more than anything is when you go back like 20 years and, and they've done these surveys, and the survey to consumer – and the essence of it was is like you know, what, if you were in, you know, to list or sell a house, what 
would you use a realtor? And the number of consumers has increased the number of people that want to use a real estate agent. So you've had this sort of technology thing, this wave that's entered in, and, and all these technologists are going to disintermediate agents, which means, you know, fancy way of saying they're going to cut agents out of the middle. And the exact right. opposite has happened. Consumers are wanting to use agents more. And here's what the statistic he gave me that really blew my mind. The age group that are most likely, like 98% of them, would, to want to use an agent are millennials. They're the yeah. ones that grew up with the technology who you would think on the surface would be the least likely to want to use an agent because, after all, they can just use some damn app, app you know, and buy a house. They're the ones right. that are most wanting to use a real estate agent. So here's yeah. what here's what's really happening as far as these mega trends and agents. You're worried about the wrong thing, and out again. He just said it. You need to be asking yourself what you can do to have more meaningful conversations with centers of influence and past clients, and ask if what you're thinking about doing with your time is bringing you closer. And I'm by that I mean physically and emotionally closer to your clients or further away. And the more layers of technology, that would be drip email campaigns, that would be any kind of digital communication, the more layers of that technology, the less important you become to them in their lives. And there's a competitive advantage to thinking like this too, because all your competitors are going to be lazy, and they're going to want to do all the digital follow-up and all the easy button shit. They're not going to want to learn right. how to have meaningful conversations. They're not going to want to learn how to pick up the phones. And so right. when you call your centers of influence and past clients – that's going to resonate with them, and all the other agents that have been sending these drip email campaigns, those things have been going to spam for years anyway, and those agents, yep. it isn't that they've been too busy, it's they've been too lazy, unskilled to pick up the phone. I mean, so that's yep. where my mind went with what you just said. Well, you know, that I, I, goes in alignment with this, and it kind of goes back to the whole environment thing we were talking about earlier in, in, in your episode. Um, i I got to tell you this story about my two boys. I have two boys, 12 and um, actually 13 and about to be 15. I said 12. No. And about two years ago, they got cell phones. They may have gotten them a little longer ago, but it was two years ago where we moved into this new house. And um, so it was a new neighborhood to them, same city, same school district, but new, they were going to be riding the bus with different kids. And about six, six months after school started, I started asking them, Hey guys, you know who, who's at the who, who who are some of the friends at the bus stop? Because I don't know about you, Tim. Did you take the bus to school? Hell yeah, or walked. Okay, whether it was cold or whatever, we would. One sure. of the most fun things I looked forward to wasn't school; it was the bus stop because we oh, there were shenanigans sure. going on. We'd play all <laughs> kinds of games. We'd chase each other. Sometimes, you know, I went to a Catholic school for the first eight years or six, six to eight years, something like that, before I went to public. So we had to wear, you know, white shirt buttoned down and dress, you know pants and stuff we'd have those things so screwed up and grass stained before we even got to school because we're wrestling around we're doing we're just having fun and um and that does not happen this today my sons didn't know any of the the people at the bus stop i said how do you not know who that is they go dad nobody talks to anybody we all just are on our phones the whole time that's fascinating sent a chill up my back but it also leads to a problem. And we all talk about, look, millennials, I love millennials. I have a whole new batch. I have an, a, a team here in Cleveland. Our team is up to 43 or 44 agents right now. And the, the largest demographic joining us are millennials or 20-somethings. I don't even know if they're calling millennials anymore. They might be, you know, the next one, Z or whatever, uh, the generation they're calling it. But they're, they're in their 20s. 
and I love working with them. But what's coming right now is because of the technology, you know, everything has a good and a bad. And the bad about part of it is they're not learning the social skills, which is mm-hmm. what you've been talking about, and having a meaningful conversation with someone because it's all texting. They're texting right across the, the, you know, the bus from each other versus getting up and going home and sitting next to them. You know, and, and it's very real and it's happening. Uh, if you have kids, you probably are experiencing this, um, at least if they're like preteens or, or, or whatever. But I was blown away, man. When I heard well, that, Al, did you hear, I got worried. You, look, I got worried. Well, it, it's sad, but did, there was actually uh, – I don't remember the guy's name. We have some really smart podcast listeners. They'll tell me. I think his name was Dustin or something. He was one of the original founders of um, – Facebook, and he actually came out at, and it, it was just, it was painful to watch. But he was on this, he was on stage, he was doing this interview, and he's after the interview, he was asking questions from the audience, and he basically said that they designed Facebook to be addictive, and they knew or suspected that the manner in which they designed how you use it to literally give you a little pop of endorphin when you have a new announcement. Like I was uh, – so we're on Facebook group uh, Workplace, right? We use it for yeah. two different applications. You know what I'm talking about. And there's yeah, – yeah. like if you if you shut that down, okay, if you close Facebook Workplace or just normal Facebook on your computer, um, it will actually start pinging you when you get a new announcement on Facebook. So in other words, you might close the application, but that shit's still running in the background. So they have made this yeah. so that – the software is crazy. They've made this so the right. software is uh, you're addicted to it, and that's what people don't realize. And that's the reason a lot of people, myself included, our daughter Zoe, she's five and a half, there is no way she's getting a cell phone until she's uh, a lot older. She'll hate me for it, but I don't care because the influence that that stuff has had on the wiring of children's brains is absolutely um, – dangerous and it's been known and it is going there's no there's never been any research on the long-term effects of this type of programming literally reprogramming of how a child's brain works because the modern research says that most people's brains are not fully function are fully formed until they're 27 so just for what it's worth this you know the importance of having learning how to speak and learning how to have communication have meaningful conversations with people that is the unfair advantage that all of you guys are looking for if you're looking for a success hack i just gave it to you it's knowing how to communicate with people because as al just said people don't know how to communicate and that story with your kids is great i'm totally going to steal that and use it for other yeah. podcasts yeah I so that's really important true. yeah well you can do something about that my friend yeah, you might um, have we, a palace uh, revolt you know, in your house. <laughs> yeah, we we just try to have more, you know, one-on-one interactions and less screen time, you know, and you just have to focus on it because it's where it's going. Frank, I mean, the truth of the matter is, you know, with social media, um, for as much as we hate it, we love it because it's allowed us to communicate with more people, deliver more value to more people. I mean, the podcast we're on right now is a perfect example of that it's going to be broadcast yeah, totally. among probably numerous other social platforms that people can listen to and, and, and absorb that content for free. And that's the actually cool you're teaming up for good. You're teaming up for a little announcement. Uh, thank you for that, by the way, you weren't, you didn't know you were doing it. So um, our new book came out uh, a couple of days ago and it's already a bestseller. Well, it's not a bestseller. It's number one new release on Amazon. Um, and we're getting a lot of people socially sharing it on Instagram. I didn't start this. wasn't a sort of like grand plan of ours. But people are starting to post pictures of themselves with the book or pictures of their kids with the book and things like that. So if you are buying Harris Rules on Amazon and you post a picture 
either on uh, – if you post a picture of yourself with a book, either be it on Facebook or uh, as an Amazon review or on Instagram, just let us know you did it, and then email Tom at Tim and Julie Harris dot com, uh, Tom at Tim and Julie Harris dot uh, com, and uh, we'll email you a. Uh, I'm sorry, we'll mail you a hat. Sorry, it's what happens when I try to read while I'm trying to talk. I sometimes lose my thoughts. So go ahead if you want to socially help us promote Harris Rules the book. That would be fantastic. I'd certainly appreciate it. All right. So next question I wrote down. Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, you should get it too. Matter of fact, I might have the publisher mail you one. It was uh, I have to always make sure I give credit to Julie because she's the one that did a bulk of the work on the book. But, um, yeah, it's something we're quite awesome. proud of, actually. So let's talk about something fun. What are the three biggest things that are going to have the biggest impact on agents' lives that maybe are being a little underreported right now? Like a year from now, what are the three biggest things where people are going to look back and say, holy crap, I wish I'd been paying more attention to that. I wish I would have you know, known about that. Or maybe I heard about that. I wish I would have taken action on it. Um. Three biggest things. Um, you know, get involved with, you know, this goes back to the, you know, the environment. Um, for me, it's always, it's you know, the, if, if I were to point to one thing, I don't know, you asked for three, but if I were to just point to one thing, um, it was being, getting involved in a mastermind. And, um, you know, it's, it didn't just change my business. It changed my life and uh personal life you know um and and i think the best person to talk to about that would be my wife you know like when you when you when you change the environment you're in i think jimmy buffett wrote a song about latitude you know so about what was it, what was it? changes in latitudes changes in attitudes i am pretty you know, damn um, sure al you are too young to be quoting jimmy buffett but go ahead man i i am a huge <laughs> parrot head i love oh, i love boy. jimmy buffett yeah yeah um <laughs> But I used to listen to him a long time ago, but the bottom line is that, you know, that song is kind of funny and cool, but it's, it's, it's true because I started getting around people that were, I was not the smartest person in the room and, um, and, and you've got to do that. And in order to do that, you got to check your ego at the door. You have to make sure um, to ask yourself a question. And the question should anyone listen to this, ask yourself this question. Are you more are you are you willing to risk capital over your ego? And what I mean by that is I think I see a lot of people out willing to rip their credit card out and buy kind of like what we were talking about earlier, the next shiny object or maybe a, a shortcut of this and that, instead of maybe checking their ego and getting around to other people who might know more than them, you know, and there's people out there who are just not willing to do that. They want to be the smartest person because, because they, they're not willing to risk their ego. And um, for me, when I did that, it changed everything. And, um, you know, so, you know, obviously the, the Kinder East Mastermind is what I joined um, in 2012 when they launched it. And, you know, I never, you know, kind of going back to the other thing, I never, um, like you and Julie, I never had an ambition to, to, to grow some coaching company or anything like that. And I still don't today. So I, I, I envy what you guys are building because I know how hard it is. Um, but I did become a coach, and I loved it. I got a, I got a great um, – I got great value out of it, and I think it and, – and that was another thing is that when you start teaching, 
there's you're you're going to get a a satisfaction of it out of it, but it's it's also it, it comes back to you in spades. I'm sure you can you can probably attest to this more than anybody else. Is that uh, I wasn't making a whole lot of money, okay, coaching real estate agents at the time. But the the truth of the matter was, um, I I did it because I felt like if I were to just give this value, give this value, give this value, that it would maybe one day come come back. I didn't expect anything, and you know immediately. But you know, as we talk right now today, it has come back in spades. Um, and I don't know, you know, how deep you want to go with that conversation, um, but. You know, we we can go there if you'd like. I know it's your podcast, so you can tell me. But you know, no, I want to talk. Um, I, I want to talk about that. But I, I want to talk about something else you just said first, and then let's circle back to that, okay? And listeners, sure. I hope you're getting a lot from this because I am. I the reason I'm not doing a lot of talking is because I'm doing a lot of note taking on uh, you know and with what he's saying, so I can make sure that because I know what listeners are going to want to really hear. And you just said something so important. Um, it's a deep introspection question. So, how do you know when your ego is holding you back? Not just people in general, but you, Al, specifically. How do you? Because I can sense that you've worked on a lot on that. So, how do you know when your ego is trying to hold you back or hold you down? Uh, you know, I think that's the problem. Is that I don't think everyone. I don't know that you always know. I think if if you um, were to practice the practice of stepping out and um, Elon Musk, um, this is a big Elon Musk um, uh, mental model, okay? And Mike Reese is a huge Elon Musk fan, so every other day I'm getting a new YouTube video with Elon Musk. And so (laughs) Elon Musk asks a question, and the question is, um, where am I wrong here? Or where might I be wrong? And so... This is just a huge, I think, nugget that I learned and that everyone listening to this can write down because it's something that we could all – it doesn't matter whether you're even in real estate or not. But what if one of your metal models on a daily basis when you know, we make decisions – our decisions are a sum of where we're at right now, right? But what if before we made decisions or we even found ourselves leaning in a direction – you know, we've always heard like, just go with your gut. I'm going to challenge everybody – don't just go with your gut, okay? You can go with your gut after you ask yourself, okay, I'm feeling like this is the right decision, but where might I be wrong here? Could I be wrong? And I think that if you were to ask that question in practice and get make it a habit of asking that question, I'm not saying doubt yourself. I'm saying challenge yourself. Then you could start to break through and find out if your ego is doing it because if not, our ego is extremely strong. And I'm not talking about being egotistical. This is a, there's a big difference. I'm talking about your beliefs being so strong that you just, you know, in your mind, you know that you know that you know, okay, that, that this is the right, right thing. I think at that moment is when you should ask yourself, where might I be wrong in my thinking? And I think you're going to become a better thinker. I think you're going to become a better leader of yourself. And I think that um, you are going to start making decisions differently, and you're going to notice it too. And I think at that point, you can start to harness the power of that ego in a good way at that point. No, I think that's awesome. There's a, um, yeah. there's a great book called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. 
Um, and by the way, uh, podcast listeners, I did a two-hour uh, videotaped interview with Ryan. It's on YouTube. You guys can check that out. I just basically peppered him with questions. He just went after one after another after another. Uh, Ryan's written a lot of fantastic books. He's a, I think, five or six multiple, you know, New York Times best-selling author. But definitely get that book. Ego is the enemy. And you know, the ego thing is uh, pernicious. It does sneak up on you. And how do you know? Like, there's outward ways to know whether or not your ego's out of check. Truthfully, the biggest one is, it, do you have? I, you know, I'll give you some obvious ones. If you're overweight, if you don't have the finances that you want to have, if you're carrying a lot of de- uh, debt. If you've got a lot of screwed up relationships, if you're those types of things, if your life is not the way you expected it to be at this point in your life, chances are you've got an ego issue, and that's okay. And because here's the thing that ego ultimately wants you to do, it just does not want you to change. It wants you to stay the same. It's that whole golden cage thing I mentioned earlier. It wants you to stay in your mm. little golden cage. It doesn't want you to mm. think about – and when you come across new ideas, when you come across new things, you know – like, what's your initial reaction? Is your initial reaction that of a skeptic? Oh, that's some bullshit. Don't you tell me about that. Or is it like, well, I'm interested in that, and I know this whatever you're you know, telling me is different than the way I think, but I'm going to keep my ego in check, and I'm going to actually think about what you're saying and decide whether or not it's for me. Now, Al said it perfectly. Yeah. There, are, there are some things you don't have to vacillate on. There are some things that you can be resolute on, and you do not change your belief in God, for example. Maybe there's you know other things that are like that. You do not need to have somebody trying to challenge you on those types of beliefs. That's not what we're talking about. Everything changes so fast. Remember, there's no such thing as complacency. That's a fake word. And so everything you're doing in your business, here's an interesting thought for you, is obsolete. Every single business practice you have, everything you're doing for lead generation, every script you're using, every presentation style, everything is obsolete. It's probably not, but assume that it is because then it forces you to not become complacent. And just by hearing this from me and Al saying basically the same thing, if you're finding resistance to what we're saying, well, that goes back to the point I just made. Maybe you've got an ego issue, and how else is that adversely affecting your life? So these are the types of things that when you start just to accept the fact that the ego, generally speaking, is not your ally, and you start, you know, as Ryan says, it's really your enemy – what does that mean? And he, Al said it perfectly. We're not talking about being egotistical. We're talking about this internal thing that wants us to stay the same, that wants us to stay small, that wants us not to think big, that wants us to believe, you know, all these false things about ourselves, about what we're not capable of. So, look, guys, this is hopefully going to be a, a seed we plant for some of you. Others of you, you're like, what are these fools talking about, these Ohio people? How would they possibly know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Where, where's your mind going? I sense that you have something to say. Yeah, I mean, you just hit on something, and um, I think that the other thing that happens with ego is we – our decisions are start – they're driven by what we think someone else is going to think about us. Ah, yes. And and our, our ego is protecting us from that, I think. And um, the problem with that, you know what I mean, is, is that you start making – can you imagine – I'm going to flip because I know you've been asking me questions, but I want to ask you a question. Could you imagine if if you you and Julie would have done everything, you know, in your lives going back from when you were in Columbus till now uh, based off of what you thought other people would think? If you moved out of Ohio, if you went and started a coaching guy, if you did this, if you if you started a podcast, if you put videos on YouTube, oh, my God, who does he think he is? Like, you know, if if, if you made decisions – 
based upon what you thought other people were going to think, there's no way you would be where you're at today. Well, that's you know? how most people act, though. But that's how most people act because it's the whole crap and that's in the why bucket. They're where they're at today. That's yeah. right, exactly. If you're not where you're at. Yeah, you're nailing yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the crabs in the bucket thing, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure not very many people know because every time I say this, people are looking at me like I'm speaking Martian. But if you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and one tries to get out, the other crabs will literally pull that crab back in the bucket. And, the, I mean, this is kind of ego-related, but at the end of the day, that's where most of you are. are you know what? Since we're being, Since you've done such a great job of being – uh, totally flaying yourself in front of a, you know tens of thousands of strangers. I'm going to actually do it myself, okay? I'm going to tell a true story. Yeah. This was about 18 months ago. Um, Julie and I had – like so we profess that our highest and truest purpose professionally is being of service to agents and always saying and doing things they are going to be essentially for the betterment of their personal lives. Having sold real estate before, having you know gone from something to you know more than something in our lifetimes – I've learned, you know, I've accepted, it's mostly from the side stream benefits of coaching, truthfully, or I've done most of my personal growth, you know, and learning from other people and helping other people move past things. You can't do coaching with integrity if you're not constantly on the improvement path yourself because you'll run up against somebody who's got a particular challenge, and if you're not able to help them, well, you're kind of a fake coach. So you always have to be on this constant thing to strive to improve. Well, we have fought through and punched through a lot of barriers that were mostly in our heads over the, you know, Julie and I have been married for almost 30 years this year. So we've had to go through a lot of, you know, things. I'm not going to, I like what you said. It's not all bad or good. It just was what it was necessary for us to be in this present moment and be a value to other people. Okay. So there it is. So we get, we're, we're getting solicited by now and then by EXP. They wanted us to come and just speak and do events. People would ask to be on our podcast. And I always said, no, it's an MLM. I don't like what they're doing. I had all of this head junk about EXP. So finally, someone I really trusted, um, it was actually, it's funny, it was April of 2000, uh, or maybe it was May of 2018. I start hearing from some of my top coaching clients and brokers around the country, and there was like four of them within just that little span of time contacted me in panic mode because they were losing agents to EXP. And I had, like I said, I had a closed mind. I was ignoring it. I was not paying attention to it. I was just keeping my head down and, you know, sticking to my knitting. So then I called somebody who was a former CEO of Keller Williams, a friend of mine, and I asked them. And he basically said it's going to be something that's going to change the industry. And he gave me the uh, the down low on the whole thing. Then he had me speak to some other people and connect with me to some other people. And long story short, um, EXP is doing this event down in uh, someplace in, uh, near where we live in Texas, and a couple hours away, but that's just down the way when you live in Texas. So we drove down right. there, and it was a day-long event, and I had never – look, Julie and I were hired Brenton Stars. We did, 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 did. We've been to a billion real estate events, but I'd never been to anything like that, and I couldn't figure out what was different about it. And what was different about it is there was maybe a couple hundred people there. It wasn't huge. But what was different was the nature of the way that the people interacted with each other was like nothing I've ever experienced outside of church. True story. So, which I don't go to often enough. That's thus the occasional swear word. So we're driving back up, and Julie had the same experience as I did, and um, we were having this conversation how you know what our highest and truest purpose is, and I still did not want to associate with have anything to do with any particular brokerage because one of the reasons that we thought that we were successful as coaches was because we're agnostic, right? We can go and speak to any brokerage, have any sort of whatever, and people will listen to us universally. But then Julie – and I said, Julie, look, that was a nice experience, and I'm glad we went. Now we know a little bit more. 
And then she started asking me questions about what she learned. Um, Julie and I, you know, we're completely and totally blunt with each other when it comes to when one of us is being a dumbass, and evidently I was being one because I got a talking to. And she said, right. this is the punchline. She said, Tim, if you truly are in believing that you are highest and truest purposes of being of service to real estate professionals. If that is our, if, if, if we're the shepherd and those are our, the, our flock, if that's what you truly believe, and you truly believe that EXP Realty is going to help, you know, all the people that basically rely on us to tell them the truth, and you don't do it, and this is what she said, you're a hypocrite. And she said nothing. And even after she said wow. that, I still didn't want to hear it. Oh, I know, that's right, kick right in the you know where. And then I, right. and I still, I still wasn't ready to accept it. And then a little bit more time passed, right? And then I finally started coming to the realization that why am I holding myself back from actually embracing this? I'm like, I'm just being a total hypocrite. She's right. Um, you know, even at that, I didn't believe. Oh, I can't believe this is. I heard the bullshit about not being a sustainable business model and all this. So I have Julie and I are fortunate enough to have some friends. Our friends with some very, you know, frankly, very wealthy people, and I asked them for their advice. And one of them used to be a like comptroller or some CTO at some big freaking company, and he did some homework for me. And he said, "This is, you know, they're publicly traded. It's on Nasdaq. You can read their financials." He said, "I read through all of it. it looks perfectly." Da, da, da. So I have, I was out of excuses, but I still didn't want to do it. I still didn't want to start basically promoting it to our listeners because my ego was telling me, "If you do this." This is my ego holding me back, listeners. So even though here you guys think maybe I'm this big evolved Buddha type thing, I'm constantly learning, and you know, as well. But I realized, yeah. and it was it, it was my ego that was holding me back because I was fearful of making this change. I was fearful of aligning ourselves. I was fearful of being wrong. I was fearful of, mm-hmm. you know, that all that. And I have to tell you, I was so wrong. And I wasn't just wrong for that, you know, in sense that what I just told you about. I was wrong for all right. the years before that where I should have aligned, where I should have basically done what I professed to do, which was being of highest. And, you know, our book, Al, uh, Harris Rules, the last chapter yeah. is about wealth building. And I tell this story all the time. Like when Julie and I got married, our North Star, the thing that always kept us on the straight and narrow, was the idea that one day we'd have enough paid off rental properties so that we would be rich, where our money works for us, or, you know, we no longer have to work for our money. We accomplished that goal when we were very early 40s, but it sucked. I mean, it was so hard to get there from the whole everything you have to sacrifice, all the added hours you have to pay or work. And Julie and I had, you know, we, we pay cash for most of our rental properties. That was our life. So we gave up for us to buy a hundred and fifty, hundred and seventy five thousand dollar rental property in, you know, Columbus, Ohio or North Carolina or the other places we own rental properties. The amount of effort it took to do that, what did we have to sacrifice? Well, we didn't have as many friends as we probably otherwise would have had because we were working. We didn't have as big of a family as we could have otherwise would have had because we were working. We didn't have as many experiences through travel. Why? Same reason. And so I, I look back at all those, you know, and I think to myself, here's Harris Rules telling people to follow that same path. And had it not been for EXP and that whole experience, I would have still said follow that same path. But now because of the EXP and what I've seen, what I experienced at that event, that feeling that I got from that event, was that was from people that were on their way to building financial independence. That was from people who, look, not all of them were earning gazillions of dollars. Most of them were earning just single-digit thousands of dollars per month, but it's coming in from revenue share that gave them the first sense, the, the, the first opportunity to feel financial independence that they've never felt before in their lives. 
that is in alignment with what our mission was. That was in alignment with what I stated, you know, what Julie and I, that was our moral compass, basically, our North Star with regards to our business. So that's, that's kind of where, you know, I'm seeing EXP, to answer my own question I asked you too long ago, about yeah. one of the biggest things that's impacting the industry that's going to change it forever. I don't see any – people talk about iBuyers. People talk about the Compass. People talk about – no, it's EXP. EXP is the single most influential thing in real estate of my entire uh, adult, my whole working career. Do you have any uh, – what's your take on that? I agree with everything that you just said. You said it better than I could probably have said it. Um, you know, I uh, – very similar to you. My ego is uh, in, in that way, and I think that for me, um, I was an independent broker. Um, I was very clear. I, I, was, I had an opportunity to buy uh, a REMAX franchise, and I passed on that. Um, I was a REMAX agent, as, as you were. Um, mm-hmm. then, then I was, you know, I made the decision. I'm going independent. And right before I could go independent, word got out on the street, and I was also offered a, um, an opportunity to buy a Keller Williams uh, and, and literally open one up from scratch uh, here in, in the area of, uh, where I'm from. And because I already had an office that I had opened up that was a satellite office for Remax, but it was for my team, it was a perfect opportunity. We had a money backer, so it wouldn't have been a lot of capital that I would have to risk. <clears throat> and, um, and I actually started looking at it because at that time, um, because of the coaching I was receiving, and really Mike Reese is a really good friend of mine, but the biggest thing that I've got, aside from the friendship part, was he taught me how to think differently. And it goes back to what we were talking earlier. And um, where could I be wrong? Where could I be wrong? So I was asking myself that question. I'm going independent. Where could I be wrong? Well, it just forced me to at least look. And I wanted to know what I was saying no to with Keller Williams. Because being from REMAX, um, the broker would stand up there and tell the whole company, you don't want to go over to Keller Williams because those guys aren't selling any houses. And it's bullshit. They were selling lots of houses. And next thing you know, they actually blew right by Remax in the Cleveland area, and and um, and they're not—it's not even close right now. And so, I lifted my head out of the sand to try to look at the opportunity, and I did, and I gave it a fair shot, and it still just didn't feel right for me. Um, and I didn't like some of the financials I saw. I didn't like—I I couldn't get behind it because there really was a very slim chance of people I was going to bring into that company that they could have gotten free. Okay. The, 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 the profit share model has served some people, but that, that ship has passed for most. There's no, there's, there's really, if you were a, a, a new agent and you're going to come into Keller Williams now, you, the, the odds of, of you being able to, 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 to gain enough profit share, even if you recruited a hundred people into the company um, is very slim. Cause I know, I know people that were OPs that, you know, literally sold their interest and had 100 people and their checks. You can't live off of those checks, okay? So I, I just couldn't get behind it. I ended up going independent for four years, and we did very, very well. And I kept – I had a lot of my ex-coaching clients because I ended up launching another company of which since I've sold, and it was a call center, um, I had a great time doing it, but I, I didn't wake up one day and say I wanted a call center. It evolved on its own. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was what it was. But at the time, I launched it with a partner, and I had to focus on it, so I stopped coaching. So some of my old coaching clients who I developed really close relationships were all going to EXP, and they were trying to, you know, Al, you got to look at it, look at it. For a year, 
just like what you were saying with Julia, I blew it off. I'm like, I'm not interested. But I didn't even blow it off for any particular reason other than the fact that I was an independent broker. I felt free because I wasn't paying anybody anything. You know, I had no franchise fees. I had no, no Remax fee no more. I, had, I wasn't paying anybody. It was all coming to my account. So I, I, and I wasn't feeling much pain because we doubled our business from when we were at Remax. But the, the, the problem persisted, which was recruiting and retaining agents. Those still exist, and they exist in any brokerage model. The thing for me was I never liked recruiting. In fact, I, I hated it. And I think the reason why I hated it was because of how I was being recruited by other people. And it just, it was tacky. And I wanted, like, I'm like, if this is recruiting, I want nothing to do with it. I want, I want a system that will attract people to me so I can have a conversation to see if it's a fit. And if it's not cool, if it is, great. That's what I wanted. So Mike, Jay, and I, we're going down that road. And I was going to partner with them. And it was called NAEA Partner. It was the name of their um, – that wanted to partner with 2,000 agents around the country. I was really good friends with them, part of their mastermind, and this was the direction we were all going. And it started with leaving, you know, your brand and, and going independent. You had to be for, – for this to work, we all had to kind of be independent, and then we could, you know, eventually put all our fires together and make one big fire. So this was, you know, in 2015 in Aspen, we were at our mastermind, and Jay stood up and said, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could put all our fires together, together and make one big fire? And we have this on recording and everything. He wasn't talking about EXP. He was talking about this partner uh, brokerage that he wanted to take nationwide. And I was all in. <laughs> you know, we didn't know how we were going to get there. But we knew the problems that we were trying to solve for agents. And if we could solve it for agents, then everybody wins. There's only one little problem. It's really, really hard to launch a national brokerage. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, no matter how ambitious you are. It is it is extremely difficult, and when I finally picked my head out of the sand and, and, and looked at um, a video that my first coach, Cliff Freeman, sent me, I was like, holy shit, Glenn Sanford solved all these problems that we were trying to solve. He just did it faster and better, and, I'm, and, and I was like, damn, and I had to look at it, and then I, ran, I was literally skimming my pool. This was two years ago this month, Tim. I was skimming a pool of this giant house that I bought that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to afford because two of my top agents walked out the door. They took two of my other agents and in tears, they didn't say, screw you, Al, I'm out. It wasn't like that. They left because there was no opportunity in my independent brokerage for them to grow. Hmm. And they went to Keller Williams. I'm back in now production and I'm skimming a pool that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to afford. <laughs> and, and and I was I was listening to what what you listened to obviously and I was like holy shit I went in I watched the replay and I immediately tried to find the broker in Ohio I'm like I heard that they're here but I knew nothing about the company so I get a hold of Dave Best who had just sold his Keller Williams uh, franchise he was like one of the first he wasn't the first but he was one of the first KW guys in, in Cleveland to to launch uh, a, a, a market center. And I'm like, hey, Dave, he never met me before. This is Al Stasek. You don't know me, but um, I heard you started this company, EXP. Is that true? He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, all right, we need a chat. So, uh, you know, that was two years ago. Like, you know, like I said, this June, two years ago, I spent the next 60 days trying to prove that this was all bullshit. 
I was poking holes, and I'm like, yeah, but what about this? This can't be real, you know, and all this other stuff. It was a penny stock when I looked at it. So three dollars, you know, it was three thousand agents when I first looked at it. It was three dollars a share. By the time I said this is the best thing, the last person I talked to was Jay Kinder, and I said, all right, man, I'm not asking for your approval. I'm asking you to give me some legit reasons why I shouldn't close my brokerage that I busted my ass to open up and, and move my agents and myself over to EXP. Just, just give me reasons why I shouldn't. And he couldn't, he couldn't poke any holes in it. And, and, um, and man, the rest has been history. It's just been a blast. It's been the best thing I've really ever done for my career besides join the mastermind. And, and it goes back to the environment. You have people like you and Julie, the biggest minds in real estate that people have a tremendous amount of respect for and have paid thousands and thousands of dollars to, to coach with and, and, and have grown other agents' businesses to, to, to them being number one in their marketplace. They're all coming here, or they're all, you know, a lot of them are already here. And so the financial alignment with the people that you get because it's, it's what we said earlier – taking all of our little fires together and making them one big fire. It's so special. And um, we're talking today. It's, was it, June 7th? We just, I just literally flew back from Orlando. Did, did, were you in Orlando for the show? No, man, we didn't go. We didn't go. No, we had Bummer. some other obligations, oh. yeah. No, I know we should have gone. Was, Everyone's talking about it. it but so we had cool. a whole bunch of our friends and clients there that were giving us constant feedback from the event. But, yeah, it's crazy. Like, EXP just what, yeah. expanded to Australia and England. And, you know, it's, you know what's yeah. really amazing about EXP at this point is if you are even a remote doubter of the value proposition, I mean, you're just, you just haven't looked at it hard enough. You just haven't t set your own ego aside. And listen, <laughs> it's funny. I was just thinking, Al, you and I have been sort of, you know, talking and trying to help people and you know maybe someone people are out there thinking oh my god these you know but here we are being totally honest with how we were dumbasses for not embracing it fast enough you know because of our own egos but here here's all the proof you guys need i mean what start of 2018 there are 5300 exp agents this is by the way one of the things that made me realize that my skepticism was just totally misplaced at the end of 2018 there were 16,000 agents and rumor has it that the trajectory now is they're going to be in the 30,000 range or the 40, you know, it's huge. The EXP is growing faster than any, any real estate brokerage in the history of real estate. I believe that's a global st a statistic. And if you really drill down the reasons why, which he and I, haven't, we haven't even talked about it. We've talked sort of surface or level around it. I most, there's no way that of the tens of thousands of you that will listen to this, that most of you aren't just mildly EXP curious. And look, you can go and passively research this yourself, and we've got the breadcrumbs for you. Here's all you got to do. Just text the word EXP to 31996. And if all you do is watch that seven-minute video, that's going to get at least additional questions answered for you. There, I have not – you said this, and I agree. I have not had a single conversation with anybody – about like brokers when the market starts to slow down, slow down a little bit last uh, year, fourth quarter for a lot of agents and brokerages, and, and they all started like, oh my gosh, my cash flow and the da da da, because most brokerages operate on virtually no margin, you know, less than three percent, and most, you know, the whole thing. 
just every agent was then all of a sudden trying to say, oh, if this market's going to get worse, I'm ill-prepared for it. And then the interest rates went down, and the market started to pick up. Spring flowers started popping again. The long winter was over for most of the country. And then people have forgotten how vulnerable they are to a market shift. And the thing is that something like EXP is the perfect anecdote for the uncertainty that is going to definitely be taking place in your market because of all the things that they do to support you. And it's I mean, I'm not going to say they're the cost leader as far as commissions, but they're probably a lot less than what you're paying commission split. But the things that the, the real takeaway isn't just the you know the stock that you're uh, entitled to or the revenue share; it's the people. That's really the thing that blew me away. And I'm not a joiner. <laughs> I have a feeling Al's not either. You know, and that mastermind. Aside from that, generally speaking, people that are self-made aren't joiners. They stay their own course. They have a small circle of people that they trust. And they make the wrong yeah. way. And, and but when I'm yeah. amongst the people with an EXP, the the shared uh, vision of um, creating a better future for the look a, agents. You're listening, and if you are new, you don't know this to be true. But what I'm about to tell you is true. The industry treats you like cannon, uh, cannon fodder. Most agents are in and out of this business within you know three years max. They fail. Why do they fail? And why has that always been a true statistic? It's because you're cannon fodder. It, it, the system is designed to basically just burn you through your centers of influence and past clients and cast you aside. EXP is the first brokerage model I've seen that doesn't do that. Here's an interesting statistic for you. Most brokerages have a little over 30% of all their agents quit per year. EXP's number is right around 10%. You know, people are going to pass away. People are going to decide to get into different careers. Things happen. But the reason that people are staying is because they like what they're finding. So this is something that's truly going to, I, you know, personally, I'm a 100% believer in it. And I'm a 100% believer in very few things, I have to say. But this is definitely yeah. one of them. And so, guys, listen, just text the word EXP to 31996. You know, I just looked at the clock. Oh, my God, man, we've been on forever. <laughs> this we is awesome. Through it, right? Yeah, Love we it. did. Anything man, else you'd I, like I, to say? Fun, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, anything else you'd like to say to everyone as we round the bend on today's uh, podcast? Yeah, I, anything I think maybe you would like. Would you have liked to have heard? What would you have liked to have heard somebody say to you two years ago? That's a maybe a better question. I think that if it was explained a different way, I think that um, the, a lot of the folks who have heard stuff, a they've heard it from their broker, which you know you're never going to hear anything positive out of your current broker about the the competition. It didn't happen when I was at Remax. I'm sure it's not, you know, you go into a Keller Williams or 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 a, a Century 21 or any of the big brands often Tuesday office meeting, no one's going to sit there and sing praises about the competition. So mm -hmm. if you're getting your get a just figure out who the source is and you have to just admit you're probably not getting the most accurate information. I would say this, if it was explained to me this way, are you building a sellable asset as you continue to go from 10 houses to 20 houses a year, from 20 houses from sale? I'm talking about selling homes sure. to 30, to 50, to 100. I had this ambition. I wanted to sell 300 houses. There's only one problem with that, Tim. Next year, you have to sell 300 more houses. You're not building a sellable asset by doing that. What you're doing is you have, you know, you have a job and, and, our team is going to sell probably close to 400 houses this year, and I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that 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 that's what we do to put food on our table. But most real estate agents, there's two things they have in common: they don't pay their taxes on time, and they don't save very good. And it, and it just is what it is. 
So this is an, enables you to build a sellable asset that you actually own. And, and, and Glenn Sanford took the, the agent who's usually at the bottom of the food chain because they make all the money, but they, you know, when you go up, they pay for the office expense. They pay with the, with the commissions that they, they're earning out there. They pay the office manager. They pay the team leader. They pay the regional owners. And then they pay all the way at the top. You know, the Dave Linegers or the Gary Killers. Everybody gets paid, but the agents are the only ones out there doing all the work. Glenn Sanford took the agent, moved him right to the top with all the owners. Well, what you're talking about is the revenue share. Table. Yeah, you know, no, I'm talking about the really? stock. Oh, right. That's talking exactly. about the stock because now they're right. owners. They're, now they're, they're owners in an asset. They have a sellable asset. Now, the revenue share, that's, that's the other thing. With all the money that, that, that EXP is saving and not having brick and mortar, not having to pay a recruiter, not having to go. pay an OP, not having to pay the franchise person because there isn't a franchise. With all the savings right there, they 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 that money goes back to the agents who are helping grow the company as a thank you. You refer somebody to the company, you get that thank you, and that thank you is the revenue share that that comes in residually. And um, did you, you know, believe it the first time you saw it? Be, be honest, the first time you saw the revenue share model. Did you believe it? Didn't it almost look too good? Well, like it didn't make sense. I, it, I, I did because <laughs> my Gene reaction. Frederick came. Gene Frederick came and flew in, and and literally showed me. And seeing is believing, right? And so yeah. I had a little bit of a oh, yeah. different, unique experience because I, you know, I met with Gene and he showed me what he's done and and what the results of that were. And I didn't have to, you know, you know, it wasn't a story someone was telling me. Like it was Gene, and um, I have a ton of respect for Gene Frederick. He's an amazing leader. Um, he he was the number one um, recruiter for for uh, for Keller Williams for I don't know four years or something like that. He was with Remax before that. Centers. Do you know that? He was with Remax before that and another brand yeah. I can't remember. Um, but you know he's a, he's a visionary. He he sees it. He sees things before somebody like me sees it. You know, and um, thank God he saw it. Um, and and he's been just a great friend to me too. So man, hey, I appreciate you having me on though. Oh, fun. it's my pleasure. It's my it's my absolute pleasure. So, listeners, listen. Here's your homework. It's super painless, no obligation. Just text the word EXP to three one nine nine six and watch the seven minute video and stay connected with Al. He's all you know. He's got bazillions of things all over social. Um, it's very listen, Al. Truthfully, very inspiring, very motivational. I love talk. T people like you are weird because most people who have climbed the mountain like you have from nothing to something. They totally, completely attach it to just these sort of spiritual – it's never about hard work. It's never about uh, you know doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level. But you know that that's what it was about. You worked your way to the top. You earned your way to the top. You were always seemingly in alignment with – I've heard you say this in different ways uh, – of being of service to other people. And that's, that's ultimately – you know that's the long-term benefit – of staying the course. And sure, you meander off occasionally, but at the end of the day, you're here, you're where you are because of all the people along the way that you've helped. And I appreciate the fact that you helped us today, help the tens of thousands of folks that will listen to this podcast. So for, for that, I really sincerely appreciate you and thank you. I appreciate you having me on, man. Have a fantastic day, listeners, and we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>